Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction. And free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. All my respect would be restored in Gareth Southgate. If he was answering some questions of him being too negative by saying, well, you know, we finished the game with Sancho, with British, we brought Saka on for trip here. <laughs> nah, look, Gareth Gar- Southgate is shit. I mean, he- <laughs> Jose Mourinho would be very proud of this team. This is Paul McGrath. You're listening to the Villa Podcast. Coleman, a little dink into the middle. As soon as I'm obviously on the pitch, I'm just, um, you know, at my happiest. Yeah, I never win something for Portugal national team, but I win tonight. He can't take it, can he? He can't take it. He just can't take it because we've out-tacticed him, we've outwitted him. You're playing international football. You're playing international football. Control the bloody ball. Pass it and move to your mates. And if you lose it. Run back and run back like you care. As the players were trying to cool themselves down, decide who was taking penalties, the camera cut up to the stands where young Prince George, Kate Middleton, and Prince William were all standing. Prince William was reading off four players on his four fingers, explaining to Kate who would hit the first four penalties. And then he, unf- he unfolded his fifth finger and gave a. <laughs> who the fuck? Who the fuck knows? <laughs> I think that probably summed up the mood of the nation. Then Prince William couldn't think of a fifth player, and as it turned out, it was per Bakayo Saka. But even the the list of players, like I didn't have Harry Harry Maguire peg to come up and drill one into the top right corner. It was a nineteen year old Saka who was uh, chosen to come forward. But I just want to give give you a little insight into the English mentality now, look, look, I'm not going to slag Saka one bit at all in this podcast but see just before the penalty started I was watching BBC and there you have Alan Shear, the Premier League's top ever goal scorer, Frank Lampard the Premier League's top ever midfield goal scorer, Rio Ferdinand the Premier League's best defender probably one of anyway 
And all three of them, right, were discussing penalties and what they do to a man, especially an Englishman. Alan Shearer said, it's the longest 30 to 40 yards you will ever walk in your life. Frank Lampard said, as a player, (laughs) this is so Frank Lampard, as a player, you naturally think of the negatives. (laughs) Frank Lampard! And then Rio Ferdinand (laughs) Ferdinand said, he's never hit a penalty, but during the shootouts, I couldn't feel my legs. And I was thinking, that is not the mentality of a of a group who would go forward and decide, let's go and let's go and take this, take this shit out by the scruff of the neck. Let's go and win. Let's project. You know, even, even if it's false confidence, like the way Jordan Pickford's doing, he was saying to himself, ah, this is fine. And then pulled off the save of the shit out. Like nobody was, uh, nobody seemed to do that when it comes down to the clutch penalty shit out for England. And I just thought those quotes summed it all up. They definitely did, yeah. And you're right, there was no projection of authority, no projection of, we can do this. We know we're England and we've lost penalties before, but none of those players play in this team anymore. Yeah, We might be being managed by one of them, but that's irrelevant. He's not stepping up. Although, you know, in hindsight, maybe he should have. <laughs> to, to miss three penalties is is absolutely crazy, particularly when you bring on two of the players because they're apparently oh. penalty specialists. I mean, yeah. if you recall... The first penalty that Marcus Rashford ever hit for Manchester United was against Paris Saint-Germain, and he just drilled it into the top corner. Yeah, And that was a high-pressure penalty as well. Not as high as this, but look, I'm sure we'll get to each of the penalties. But England's penalties were, were really, really bad. And we talked about the mentality you need. That's all you need for a penalty, surely. Yeah. And they just didn't have it. It just didn't look like it was there for them. Because the ones that they missed, they missed badly. Go forward with the idea that you're going to win. Don't do what Frank Lampard says. Don't think about the negatives. Don't do what Alan Shearer says. Don't think it's the longest ever walk of your whole life. Just enjoy it as a 12-yard shot. You can do it. Like we've said this before, all these players can do what Harry McFucking Guire did. He just, yeah, he literally broke the camera. Go forward, win the tournament. Don't worry about it too much. But you and I both know how how much pressure is on a penalty, even in no pressure scenarios. I mean, like, you know, I've missed penalties. I've missed a three yard penalty in, up in Spawell in Dublin before, you know. <laughs> in the five-a-side pitch. In a five-a-side pitch, a one-step three-yard penalty, and I dragged it wide. That's why I giggled last week whenever I was saying if the keeper goes preposterously early, so then you just roll it on the other side. I tried to do that. I just completely <laughs> overcompensated for it, and I hit the outside of the post. Like, penalties are nerve-wracking. Because they're so fucking easy. And if you miss it, you're an idiot. That's why people don't like being one-on-one with the goalkeeper. Yeah. They prefer to have four defenders in front of them and try to bend it around them. Once you're expected to score, most people will miss. No, that's it. There's no there's no real win. It's like, I remember, um, if anybody, if you think of a GA free kick taker, no, they do not get respect until you actually hit one yourself. And then you realize... Everybody's just expecting me to score this. And if I score, nobody's going to say well done. The only reaction you'll get is if you miss. And it's the same with penalties. It's like, for fuck's sake, you missed a penalty. Like, you know, everybody just expects you to score because you're, you're that far out. But let's go through the penalties one by one. Baradi stepped up first for Italy. Bottom left, Pickford the wrong way. So that was routine enough. And then Harry Kane steps up. And now, the last thing Harry Kane needs, and he just missed a penalty in the last game, the last thing he needs on his way down to hit a penalty in the European Championship final 
is Jordan Pickford coming over and chatting him as he's walking up? <laughs> you know, you know, I'm not, like, not thinking of Jordan Pickford, but he is the last person in the whole squad as well, given how manic he can be. But I get like everybody get away from me. Like just just let me focus on hitting this ball. Go away. Um, but he stepped up and he delivered the Harry Kane penalty, which he did not do in the last game. Yeah, and there's two reasons why Harry Kane doesn't need that because it's not going to be any help at all. Jordan Pickford roaring in his ear, and also it's Harry Kane. He doesn't need that. Like, yeah. Harry Kane doesn't need advice. Harry Kane is an absolutely consummate uh, penalty taker. But don't worry about it. And he did exactly what you'd expect. It's a great penalty, unsavable. Donnarumma actually went the right way, but Harry Kane just buried it off that side of the net that he loves. Second like if penalty. Don, if, if Donnarumma's going the right way and it's going in, you know you've hit a fucking brilliant penalty. That's that's just the reality. Of yeah, it. bang on. Second penalty. Bellotti steps up for Italy. He misses. He looked nervous straight away, and he had this straight angle of a run right, and then and then he adjusts himself. Which makes it so obvious. Like he, he steps then before he runs up, he steps about five steps to the left. And it makes it so obvious that he's going to his right. And Pickford reads him like an open book, dives to the left. It's not even tight over to the side. Pickford just bats it away. Oh, yeah, it's nowhere near close enough to the side of the net. It's a, it's a dreadful penalty. Perfect height for Pickford. Harry Maguire. Same run up now, so maybe there is no science to what I'm saying. He looked like he was straight. Then he moved to the left. So I thought. It was obvious he was going to his right as well. He did go to his right. Keeper went the wrong way, but I do not think it would have mattered. That was a fucking screamer. That's the, the perfect penalty. I mean, not only that, but we just had that glorious moment of a camera being knocked off the network. It's just it's absolutely brilliant. It's one of the best penalties I've ever seen because you just got to see that happening as well. It's, it's brilliant. You say that was one of the best penalties you've ever seen, and then Benucci steps up. So this lad delays his run. Pickford waits and goes the right way. Bonucci seems fucked here. And he somehow has the composure and skill to lift it at the very last second, knowing that Pickford has read him as well. So Pickford's done well there. And Bonucci still lifted it over the top of him. Pickford's put his left arm out as he dies right, but he can't get to it. And I thought of Gary Lineker, who threw out that old, <laughs> it's probably an English thing, don't change your mind, don't change your mind, don't change your mind. If Benucci doesn't change his mind there, he's fucked. And he did, and it was lovely. Yeah, it was absolutely brilliant. But that just, we said this last week, and everybody knows this. If you put the ball high, it doesn't matter how well Pickford did, and he did do well. You score. Pickford can't get there. And Pickford's arm, maybe another keeper of longer, normal sized arms might have saved it. But, <laughs> you know, the ball is the ball's too high, and it's, it's a goal every time if you do that. Then Marcus Rashford, he psyched himself out too long a delay. Don't know what, like, what was he doing there? Like, there's a there's a stage where it's like, okay, he's getting his breath back. Then there's a stage where you might think it's cool. Then it gets to the point where it's like, what is going on here? And then he dicks around with this straight stance as he's running up to it. Delays at the ball. Terrible finish. He does exactly what you did in the five-a-side pitch. <laughs> Yeah, like, yeah, Rashford's stance at the start is bizarre. It's like he's a, a set piece taker in a rugby team or something. It was really, really stupid stuff. And it, the run up is terrible. And once you do that run up, you better fucking score, pal, or you're going to be pillier because that is so stark looking then. Donnarumma stands still, though. That's what makes him panic. And that's what Bonucci didn't do. He realized I'm fucked here, so I better at least hit the ball high. Yeah. 
Donnarumma stands still and Rashford just, yeah, completely panics. And Donnarumma's gone as well. He went the wrong way. And Rashford didn't know what to do and just dragged it out. This is where Donnarumma really got into his groove. Like, actually, it was three misses in a row for England to close it out. Like, Kane and Maguire stepped up, did the business, two perfect penalties. Their two leaders led the way. Then their first penalty specialist misses. And then their second steps up after Bernard Bernadeschi hits it down the middle. Again, simple enough. Pickford went, he put it down the middle. Sancho steps up. Another delay. He goes right. Donnarumma has read it. Save. Yeah, it's a good save, but again, it's a good height for the keeper. It's it's not a good penalty. And Bernadeschi as well. It's hard to tell if that was brave or stupid going down the middle because Pickford wasn't going early. So he, I think he got away with it because it's, it's low as well and Pickford's trailing legs could save that. Do you know uh, Pickford looked very tense is the wrong word. He looked like somebody who was about to spring. Like he looked too ready for action. Like it seemed like uh, he was definitely going somewhere. So I thought that down the middle was safe. Now maybe he could have been double bluffing, but he just looked ready to fly across either side of the net. Mm. Yeah, maybe you're right. Who would you rather face? And obviously Donnarumma's a better goalkeeper and he's bigger and stuff. But I mean, from their composure, who would you rather face? Donnarumma, who's just standing there, letting you know that he's ready to save the penalty, or Pickford, who's jumping around like a maniac, which is another approach that'll work. Like he's all over the line, he's standing, he's coming out to you to talk to you, he's bouncing up and down, <sighs> and that that is just confusing and it's it fucks with your head. Yeah, you, you have to have, be of a certain personality to deal with it. There's something about smaller keepers that scare me a little bit as well. Like they, yeah, they seem like they can spring around, but. <sighs> I think, it, I think it's Donnarumma I would hate to face most because those guys just take up more than that. And if it's not a good penalty, yeah, I think there's no way I'm going to score. I just think if he goes the right way, he's going to save it because I don't think I'll have the power either. So he'll just fall on it if I get it low. He'll just bat it away if I get it high. Pickford, Pickford, I feel like he could just spring the wrong, the wrong way, whereas Donnarumma will wait on me, I think. Yeah. Last penalties. Jorginho, like you know, he was he was there like of all the people you want. Here's a question actually, because I saw somebody tweeting us suggesting that Kane it was Nico, Liverpool fan, Kane let Saka be the scapegoat. So that's an interesting one with Kane not hitting the fifth penalty. Now Ronaldo has gotten slagged for this before, but Jorginho waited to hit the fifth penalty as well, because that's essentially the pressure kick, but sometimes you don't get there, so it is stupid. I always think the the best penalty taker should go up first just and see what happens. But Jorginho was there, the one man you want there. He hits a good penalty and it's an incredible save, hits the post and probably gets a bit of luck in that. Well, not a bit of luck. It would have been very unfortunate. Like we've seen those hit off the post, hit off the keeper and go back in. But uh, great save, great build up to it. Grabs the ball, runs away, fist pumping the whole crowd, trying to get Wembley Stadium going. But um, wasn't to be. No, it wasn't. Uh, I, th- I think you're right. The, the best penalty taker has to go first. And as we saw from England, they only had to as well. So like neither of them would have gotten to take a penalty had they waited. Yeah. Uh, Pickford does brilliantly on Jorginho. He does exactly what Simon didn't do in the semis. I mean, Christ almighty, everyone and their dog knows that Jorginho was going to skip. Yeah. And once he skips, he's essentially got a no-step penalty. He can't generate any power anymore. And it's very difficult for him to get it to the corner as well because of where he's landing at the ball. And Pickford does well to wait and then brilliantly to get there as well. But anybody who goes for a Jorginho penalty, 
dives, lets him do the skip. You're a fucking idiot. It's the equivalent of diving out of the way for a Troy Deeney penalty. Just stand there. Troy Deeney's going to hit it off your stomach. Jorginho, just wait. He can't hit the ball hard now. Yeah. That's exactly what I think all my penalties would be like. Like, Jorginho not getting a run-up is, I think, the power I would generate with a run-up. So <laughs> it doesn't matter if I get it to the corner. A good keeper will still get there and save it. And then poor Bakayo Saka. Um, I actually had written down, like, when I saw him, I was like, oh, knew he was going to score. <laughs> and I wrote that down. I don't know what it was, maybe because he was young and there's a good vibe around him. And in hindsight now, I'm like, oh, why, why would you let a 19-year-old go up with your pressure kick? Why would Sterling, even Grealish, let him go up and do it? Um, and to be honest, it was a tame penalty, but... It was like Donnarumma knew that this guy... It felt like Saka was rushing through it. I don't blame him. Put the penalty down, came back, ran up. And it was like Donnarumma just you know, knew how to handle that situation against a player with much less experience. And he just he just went as Saka hit it and he was right over on it. Oh, no. It, it, he knew exactly where Saka was going to hit it because of Saka's run-up. Yeah. If you run up to the ball, that angle, you go across your body every single time. Go back through the annals of penalties. That's what happens. Yeah. If you come at the ball with a sharp angle, you're going across your body. It was, it's silly. I can't believe that hasn't been coached out of him. And again, though, I don't want to get at him too much because he's a 19-year-old who's been sold up the river, being asked to take that penalty. I mean, why is Jack Grealish not taking it for, for a start? Why is Sterling not hitting one? I mean, it's, it's unforgivable that those two lads are there letting Saka hit the penalty. And it's funny because we were talking about this last... Friday, when yes, yeah, Saka might be good at training, but come on now, lads, it's the fifth penalty in a European Championship. Like fucking stop dicking around here. Saka's not hitting one of the penalties. Yeah. And sure enough, whenever you were at your local GA team, the penalty competitions that you were having in training, you were winning them. <laughs> and then it comes down to the final, and you're like, like lads, that was all good cracking. All it's funny yeah. that I'm listed as the penalty taker. <laughs> But let's be clear here. We're in the final of the Intermediate Championship. I'm not taking the fucking penalties. This is a true story. <laughs> I have, and in fairness to me, I did come forward and say, yeah, let's let's everybody get real. Like, you know, yeah, we all had a bit of fun. <laughs> it was all good crack, as you say, but it's not happening in real life when, when it actually matters. Um, th- this is something that I do wonder because, you know, a manager like Gareth Southgate, who is obviously very organized and he's obviously thought through a lot of things and gotten England prepared in a lot of different ways. And one of the things he was credited for because they beat Colombia in penalties was you know, that they were now ready for penalty shootouts. And and I did, I heard someone during the week that, like, you know, people who lose, like managers who lose and who are unprepared always say stuff like penalties. That's something you can't prepare for. But it's actually something that you obviously can prepare for a lot. And I... And I wouldn't again. You wouldn't blame Southgate if they, if they lose in penalties, but you would blame that it got to a situation where they're scrambling around, and it's nineteen year old Bakaya Sako who, who's who's hitting the pressure penalty. Like, how how has that happened? Like, I'm sure if he if he prepared this and and went through it meticulously over and over and over, that never happens. Like, no matter how many scenarios he ran out, I bet Saka was never the fifth penalty hitter, but somewhere. In the madness there, and I'm not blaming him for the madness, it's madness before a penalty shootout. Somewhere in that chaos, Saka came out as the fifth penalty hitter, and Sterling, his his deadliest player for the tournament, and I, I would say Luke Shaw is probably their best player. Sterling's obviously 
up there as well. And I don't know why I have such a problem with saying that. <laughs> I think it's playing <laughs> Grealish's position. You know, Sterling, one of their best players. Um, and Grealish, the player I'm talking about, they're they're not in contention. Why did he not let Grealish hit a penalty? Grealish, <laughs> Grealish has pulled away from penalties as well for Aston Villa. I mean, if if Amor El Ghazi's hitting penalties over Grealish, you would really question Grealish's you know bottle for a penalty. Maybe he doesn't like it. Maybe he doesn't have that killer instinct. Hang on, respect, are... respect El Ghazi's penalties. El Ghazi's penalties are good, but you know Jack Grealish is. Aston Villa. You know, yeah, Jack yeah. Grealish has to be hitting penalties for Aston Villa. It's a bit mad that he's not. He's got the best technique. And talking about preparing for penalty shootouts, like obviously sports psychology is an important element and stuff, but that can all be massively overdone as well. And it's just a completely fake scenario. You know, practicing the walk-up isn't the same as having 90,000 pissheads in Wembley screaming your name and cheering and falling down the steps. It's not the same thing. I'd say. I'd probably under 20, all right. But, you know, it's it's not, you, you can't prepare for that. Like, let's, let's get real here. It's, it's almost pointless doing it because it's not going to help. What you can do is instill confidence in your players. You can obviously practice penalties, practice just kicking the ball into the top corner. But you have to just give your players the confidence to hit penalties and not just rely on a 19-year-old to end up hitting one. Sterling is shit at penalties as well. He has he is bad at them. I've seen him hit some atrocious penalties for Man City. Grealish, the only penalty I can remember him taking was in the in the playoff final. It was a it was a perfect penalty. I had no doubt he was going to score it. In the playoff semi-final. Semi-final. Yeah. You have to think they're going up ahead of Saka. Yeah, it's, it's strange. Like it's, it's strange, but it, it happened and I'm sure Saka's been in like absolute shit, man. And that's it. Like that's why I feel so passionately about it. Like, by the same token, I don't want to slag Saka too much. I do want to stick the boot into Sterling more so, but also Grealish. Like you know, they, they need to step forward there and and take a bit of leadership. You're saying Grealish is Aston Villa. He's also England. Like he's you know, well it can be. Like he's the, he's the person that the crowd sing for over and over and over until he gets. Did you did you hear at one stage like England were under a bit of pressure? Didn't have the ball for a bit. It was happening a lot of the game, but Grealish got the ball then, and there was a big cheer. You know, just it was like five minutes had passed before, without him getting the ball, and literally a cheer went up as he got the ball of his back to go, and it was like <laughs> everybody is suddenly invested again. Like he is that profile of player now. You go up and hit the penalty, mate. Like you can do it, but I look at I don't like sagging Grealish too much. Where's Where's Sterling? Like the guy who's their top scorer, the guy who's have. What, 70 odd caps now? An unbelievable scoring record. And yeah, just all that experience. Like, he's probably the most experienced player in the team. Like, he needs to be, if he's not stepping forward, like, you know, somebody needs to be saying to him, hey, do you want to step forward? <laughs> like, you know, because at the minute, Saka's coming up ahead of you. And look, you mentioned at the start, whenever Saka put the ball down, I didn't have any qualms about the fact he was going to score yeah. I thought I was getting ready for who I was trying to figure out who was going to hit the penalties next after this because there's something about young players they they don't have the fear as we get older we get more conservative even though we've got more experience and you know we should be cameraing ourselves young players don't carry any burdens of expectation really they're just out there having a laugh yeah. and even as even as I've gotten older as a player I've become a lot more defensive you know you start worrying about losing as opposed to just going and winning and that's a part of the reason why I thought Saka would score. Uh, but and maybe maybe that's how he's come across in training. Maybe that's 
maybe that's what Southgate was hoping for in the penalties. But yeah, you're Sterling, Grealish, Stones, Shaw, any of them should be hit the penalty there. Okay, we'll take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk Chiellini. We're going to talk Shaw's amazing goal. And we're going to talk about some of the decisions that Gareth Southgate made in this game. Alright, so we had two goals in normal time. The look, Shaw goal, my God. Like, what a fucking peach that was. Imagine how satisfying a strike that was. He lets it bounce, so he drop kicks it. He literally drop kicks it in the European Cup final. And... He's hit it with the outside of his boot, just skimming off the near post. Cool as you like. Lovely pass from Trippier. Great pass from Kane to open it all up. England had them on a string at that stage. And for the next 10 minutes after that, 15 maybe. And just an unbelievable strike from Luke Shaw. Worthy of winning any tournament, I'd say. <laughs> yeah, but did it come too early, Colin? Yeah, I think no. it did. Definitely did. <laughs> I'm sure we'll come back to that. It's an absolutely incredible goal. It was so ruthless from England as well. All three fullbacks that were involved in it. The 70-yard run from Walker just clears out the space. But not only that, it gives... In clearing out the space, he also gives Trippier an extra second to have a proper look and see and notice that Italy have decided to start the game with the, the really innovative approach of playing no fullbacks. And naturally enough, that wasn't the greatest approach to the game. And... <laughs> He's got the time. So not only does he have space to cross in the ball, he's got the time to just wait and then see, oh, look, Shaw's completely free at the back of the, at the back post. And yeah. he plays a perfect pass. And like you said, the finish is incredible. The finish is so good that Donnarumma just kind of goes down on his knees and just looks at it and looks around the, the other players. Like he doesn't even know what happened. But <laughs> De Lorenzo, what's he doing tucked in so tight? So tight. And then, and then he's so slow at getting turned and getting across and he's more concerned with avoiding handball than avoiding conceding a goal it's like <laughs> you don't have to run with your hands behind your back it's absolutely stupid get over there and block a shot that's coming in from six yards what the <laughs> fuck are you doing yeah. and even if you are going to run with your hands behind your back then fucking run like, it, it didn't look like he cared it's the fucking second minute of the final Get over there and block the shot. It, not like Luke Shaw is really good as well, but he's a fucking left back, and the ball's dropping out of the sky in the final with ninety thousand piss heads roaring and jumping around in the background. Make him think about it. Get in his face a little bit. Throw your hands in the air. Wave them around. Fucking stick your tongue out. Don't just dander over them with your hands behind your back, waiting for him. And then, as if the script was written by an Irish man or a German. The minute is 66 and England buckle <laughs> and their lead, the lead that they held for over an hour is reduced to an equaliser. It's one each, 66 minutes around the clock, 19 seconds. No, nah, there wasn't 19 seconds. <laughs> but Bonucci gets to go. Per Pickford can't catch a break. He made another good save, hits it off the post and Bonucci comes in and with a great celebration just just starts pointing at his face in circular motion, you know, as if to say, as if to say either who else or look how beautiful I am. <laughs> his face, index fingers just going around in circles, pointing at himself at his at his gorgeous face, and it's one one. I I really hope that meant something to somebody who knows him, and it wasn't just him saying I'm a beautiful man who's just equalised. <laughs> like, and you said it's a good save from Pickford. It's an absolutely incredible save. I think he ends up going a 
bit too far past his post. I don't know how that happens. I know he's springing across, but it was still, even the way he got up, as he was getting up to turn around, he seemed to move his body further away from the, the posts again. It was strange. Not quite sure how that happened, but it is a brilliant save. And Bonucci slots the rebound. It was probably a penalty in the build-up anyway, but look, Jorginho would have fucking missed it. <laughs> Pick for the Nets. <laughs> Let's get down to it. Chiellini on Saka, like probably the picture that will endure from this tournament. An amazing tournament, by the way. Um, and Italy deserving winners of the tournament. They have been the best team. Southgate said in the build-up, two best teams are in the tournament, but Italy have been the best team. And overall, they were the best team on the night. And when they needed to be cynical, like nobody loves being cynical <laughs> more than Chiellini does. Saka's got a break on him. It's the last minute of injury time in regular time. And he just thinks, oh, fuck. I've balls this up. Tried to guide it out. Little Saka has nipped around me. He's gone through down the right. Grab him by one hand. Grab him by the other hand. Round the neck. Get back here, son. It's not coming home. You're coming with me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And is, that... it, is it a red card? He's 60 yards away. Of course, it's not a red card. <laughs> I don't think it's a red card, but I just saw a lot of people suggesting Ah, it fucking wise up. Benucci's in the halfway line. Like... Bonucci isn't going to get there, but the ref can't make that call. That sixty yards out, Saka's going to go through and go. He's on the halfway line on the wing. Like fuck off. <laughs> he's definitely. He's, I know that he's going to get through, but the ref can't say that and give him a red card. That's insane stuff. Uh, it, it is absolutely horrible to see it, and it's the fact that he he pulls it by the neck as well, and Saka is like you know he's nearly chokes him to death. But it is. It's also. Exactly, I've done it. You know, it's what you have to do whenever someone's faster than you, and if they get away because you've you thought, oh, you're faster than me, but I'm smarter. I'm gonna nip in here and win this ball, and then they just because they're so fucking fast, they run in between your legs and they're gone. And sometimes you just have to do it, and it's shit, and you feel like a scumbag afterwards, but you also feel like you've just taken your team into the penalty shootout. Oh, like, you know, potentially won them the tournament. And that's the sort of thing, if you do a video analysis, they never would after a final. But that's the sort of thing. It's paused. And Chiellini's pointed out in a team session, but like, you need to foil him there. Like, he's gone. You, like, we need to be smarter, lads. Like, you know, that's the sort of stuff that's that's just nipped in the bud in any good, well-oiled, structured, mature team. And, and that's what he did. Not condoning it, but that's what he did. It was like a bloody cartoon wasn't it? like a simpsons or something where homer's grabbing bart by the neck and yeah just ragdolls him back the thing that i thought was a red card though of keelini wasn't Jorginho should have been gone like that tackle not just saying it because it was grealish like, that's disgraceful like i know the ball's there and grealish is slid in but there is an onus on the player who's coming in for the tackle as well to get control of his body like you have to know when you're not going to win the ball or when you're going to stand on somebody especially when you're going to stand on them near their balls on their inner thigh like pull back cop on hmm interesting <laughs> I mean Grealish is coming in from an angle that I don't think uh, Jorginho is fully aware that Grealish is going to slide to the ground it is a bit strange that Grealish goes down so early and he catches him on the leg or high up the leg but that's only because Grealish is on the ground I mean, I think Jorginho is trying to control the ball, not tackle Grealish. He's trying to put his foot on the ball. And yeah, it looks horrible because his studs are up and because Grealish comes sliding underneath him. I don't, think it's a, I don't think it's a horrible tackle by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, if Grealish is standing up there, I know he's not, so it's a bit different, but if Grealish is standing up, Jorginho just kicks him in the foot, really. Like, it's not, 
I don't know. Like, yeah, it, it, and it looks horrible then whenever you see it because it does it does rake him up the thigh. But like, why is Grealish on the ground? Jorginho can't possibly be expecting that. And he also can't react to it then because he's trying to win the ball. Are you telling me that you're not with me and Lewis Newman on Twitter who got in touch to say the scariest part of the final was when Grealish was down holding oh, the shin? I, like, sorry, I didn't say it wasn't it wasn't terrifying <laughs> and worrying. I said it probably wasn't a red card. And here, to be honest, this is probably a little bit of outcome bias here. I mean, if if, if Grealish does get injured, I would have been calling for Jorginho probably to be executed. <laughs> Bring back hanging in the, in the London Tower. <laughs> I um. Do you want to know how much of a bad person football is making me? I, I honestly, I'm going, to, I'm going to give you my unfiltered thoughts as that was happening. Right, I thought Grealish was down. Immediately, don't care about anything else. I don't even like. I feel bad on him. Obviously, I do. I do. I, do, I love him as a person and <laughs> as a footballer more so. But I'm ultimately feeling worse because of Villa's season to come, and then I immediately went to the thought of, well, you know, nobody can probably sign him now in the summer of his isn't, <laughs> isn't that fucking shameful stuff? Like that like that's what football is doing to people. Like I'm I'm there looking at a player, worried that his leg's broken, and then I come around to somehow make it better for myself by thinking, well, you know, he won't be able to get his dream move now. It's not it's not his dream move, but his big move. And like that that's that's how I cope and get on with my life then. Like that yeah. can't like, that can't go on. I'm saying it to everybody now. I need help. Yeah, and also it doesn't make any fucking sense because either way, he won't be playing for Villa. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's true. That's true. All right, Gareth Southgate, the whole of England is with you, meter. Going up, wingbacks, it's getting a lot of flack this tournament, mostly because England have so many good attacking players. And they don't need that many defensive players, but well, for the first thirty minutes anyway, it was the right call. They freed up the the guys out wide. It was more of a a three four two one, I would say. And what it did was it really congested the central zone initially because Mount and Sterling were so tucked in. Bloody Harry Kane dropped back as well when they didn't have the ball, and when you had the two holding midfielders, it just had this pentagon of pressure around the middle, and Italy couldn't get their three midfielders going like they couldn't get into the game at all eventually they did i don't know what happened and why it wore off maybe it was just tiredness it was the flow of the game maybe england dropping deeper but the wing back thing suited that shape in defense and obviously the way we saw the goal and the way we saw walker getting by on the overlap the center back getting by on the overlap for the goal and just how open italy were being cut over and over early on like it, it looked like the right the right call yeah, it, it it worked very early on. I think you're being very generous saying the first 30 minutes. It worked for about 10 minutes at the start. And the uh, the fact that England sort of at least fullback stepped forward so much and just didn't get turned back around was just, it was madness, especially because the two centre halves have a combined age of 68. You know, it's, it's not, they can't, they can't be isolating them so much. And it was just so easy. For England's players to get in behind them, how many times was Di Lorenzo just out of position? Yeah, was did Emerson come on at half time or something? Because he wasn't fucking there in the first half. It was it was <laughs> crazy stuff from Italy, and it was so easy for England, enabled by having the 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 wingbacks, but also whenever England had the ball, 
Sterling and Mount were they were probably talking the making the fullbacks talk in, and that just gave the fullback or the wingbacks even more space for England. And look, it's so hard to play against the way England set up then afterwards. After they got their goal and they decided to stop playing. I mean, and particularly easy as well if you if you have no forwards and no courage on the ball, if you pass the ball so slowly with so little conviction, which Italy did in the first half, they're passing the ball and just standing there as well, which is just unforgivable whenever you're playing against that many defenders. Like there was times in that game where it was 21 players in England's half. Yeah. You have to fucking move around in that case. You can't just be passing the ball to each other statically. Like Barella and Mobley and Di Lorenzo had three of the worst individual performances I can ever recall seeing, particularly in such a, a high-stakes game. Di Lorenzo got a bit better, but in the first 30 minutes, he was dreadful. Barella and Mobley were absolutely toxic the whole time yeah. they were on the pitch. I think they did really well to stay on for 60-odd minutes. Insignia, Chiesa, Jorginho and Ferrari started the game terribly as well. But when you play like England did, when you play so passively, you're not going to take advantage of it. You're not going to get on their touch. So you can't even do what you're set up to do, which is to hit them on the break, because you're just letting them have terrible touches. You're letting the ball bounce off them. But not only that, you have to take advantage of these lads being off the pace, because if you don't, if you allow Jorginho and Ferrari to have the ball for an hour, to play themselves into the game. That is exactly what they'll do. They'll play themselves into the game and you are just asking for trouble. I mean, England were fucking pathetic. They were playing like a Tony Pulis team. They were they were <laughs> dogged and they were treating 60-yard free kicks as a chance. Yeah. It was really pathetic and it was it was difficult to watch at times. I mean, yeah, England's was... last attack, sorry, they, they floated a 60-yard free kick out to Harry Maguire's slab. Which was 35 yards from goal on the wing. What the fuck was that? <laughs> there was one stage where they hadn't had the ball for so long. And then they got one of those free kicks. Yeah, the ones that Tony Peels gets excited about when they're on the halfway line. And Harry Kane, you know, England's supposed best player. He's getting excited then because he's gotten this free kick. He starts calling for the centre-backs to come up. Come on, we can go and have a look at their posts again now. And see what <laughs> see what they look like. You know, let's see what's happening up here. It was a, uh, I, I was just, it was just a, gr- a grim decline of mentality. <laughs> you know, like they, that game, all they needed was a second goal, and that game was done. But they didn't even go for it. Like they, they, they stopped sniffing around. They just st- like, they, like, did they have any chance after that? Like they, they really just didn't, in any sense, try and get a second goal, and that's all it would have taken. And that sort of lets us touch on the next one. So we've got a lot of suggestions in on Twitter, the Villa podcast on Twitter. Just a lot of people giving out about stuff that was done wrong. Tom Sharp mentioned Jack Grealish coming on seven minutes into extra time. We don't even need to go into that. We've, we've done that enough. About, like, what, why he should be using Grealish? You see why when he's on. Like, he, he draws players to him. He brings the ball into the box. He sets up chances. <laughs> you know, and they and again they didn't reach for him until there was twenty three minutes left of extra time. Um, but I, do you know what the most frustrating thing is from an England point of view? Um, it isn't good enough from a manager's point of view. Henderson and Saka only came on after they conceded, when it was so clear for over half an hour that something had to change, especially in the second half. It's like there needed to be intervention. But instead, he reacted. He didn't act. 
And I think that's what Southgate is guilty of doing the whole tournament, except they've been playing teams that they've been way better than, essentially. Now they play the team who they're on a par with. And they were to the pins of their collar. And he just he just didn't act when he had to. He wasn't proactive. He reacted. And it was too late. Like if he had brought Henderson on beforehand, then it, you know, it might have helped. If he had brought Saka on for the legs, but he wouldn't have done that because he wouldn't have taken Trippier off. So it was just another case of waiting until it was too late. And they didn't get another chance. It was one each then. And that's what brought it to penalties, essentially. Yeah, and that's that's all he was doing. He was just waiting and hoping that Italy wouldn't score, which of course, of course, is a terrible idea. I mean, England tried to see out a game from essentially, I'd say, the fifteenth minute. And but yeah. that's the thing: whenever teams are that conservative, and it wasn't just because they scored. Like, make no mistake about it. That's how England intended to play. It's just that whenever whenever these types of teams do start, they always do start on the front foot. And then they just go back into their back into their shape and back into their shell. They just see if they can try and go for it in the first couple of minutes. If they if there's holes there that are that are ready to be punched, and they did punch one early on. And that was always going to happen. It's not like they regressed from their system. That was the system. We'll just go quickly and then we'll just if we score, great. If we don't, we'll see this out for the rest of the game. And they didn't. Because Italy aren't shite. Italy aren't Scotland. What's the story with Declan Rice? So I, ha- I had this written down. This is going down on the meter. Taking Rice off instead of Phillips. Like, Rice was incredible. And, and that's that's the word that Anderson used on Twitter. Like, he was. He was, he was really good. He was really good in the ball. He was striding forward. He was taking men out by dropping the shoulder. He was good defensively, apart from the, apart from the one time he was made a mug of by Chiesa very early on. And it's always him that comes off. And he... He keeps Phillips on, and I, I don't really know what Phillips was doing. He wasn't doing anything terribly, but Rice was really good, I thought. Rice was really good. I thought it was strange as well. Maybe, I don't know, maybe the medical staff know he's only got a certain amount of minutes. Maybe his GPS was declining. I don't I don't know. It was, it was strange for jumbo. me. <laughs> All that sort of shit goes out the window in a final. <laughs> maybe he just wanted, maybe he liked the idea of having the energy of Phillips and Henderson in the middle. He needed to do something. Maybe he thought Rice was more static, but that's the thing. That's only looking at him on paper because Rice certainly wasn't playing like that. He was stepping past players. He was covering a lot of ground, which he always does. He's a big bastard and he gets around really well. And he was putting his foot in a lot. He was getting a lot of interceptions, but England needed to do something. So here's one that I went back and forward on three times on the meter. Going up initially, I had... The substitutions of Sancho and Rashford. I thought, yeah, why not? Penalties. Then Paul Hughes tweeted uh, to say that that should be going down because he gave them one minute, and you know, to bring them on, they had a penalty. They weren't in the game. They weren't, and they were mentioning this on BBC as well. They weren't warmed up. They weren't part of it. They were just being told you're going on. There's extra pressure mm. with that one as well. You're a you're a specialized penalty taker. Don't care if you're not going to get a touch of the ball. Just hit a penalty in the European Cup final. Um, and then when they were bringing them off on a corner for Walker and Henderson. <laughs> and then there were three minutes left to go. <laughs> and yeah. then Marcus Rashford is playing right back. Yeah. Doing a fucking good job right back. <laughs> Marcus Rashford is playing right back, taking throw-ins. And honestly, there you go. Like 
all the organization, all the preparation, thinking everything through and coming down the home stretch, there's a bit of chaos there on the sideline. Did nobody ask, like, how long is going to be added on here? Do we have time to wait for this corner? Of course you would have. Like, there was going to be a minute at least in extra time, but threw them on, could have paid for it because Italy had the ball the whole time then. Um, yeah, just a bit of chaos, I'd say, over there. Yeah, it was it was silly stuff. The warm up, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be as strong on. I mean, you saw that Rashford was actually out warming up from the start of the second half of extra yeah. time, so he was warming up for fifteen minutes. I know it's not the same as being on a pitch, but he's only, he's only hitting a penalty. I mean, he's not going to pull a muscle on the forty yard walk up to it. <laughs> uh, on the Rashford playing, that was terrible and it was risky. Um, it could have also been fucking brilliant. He might have brought these lads on to score a penalty, but then all of a sudden he realizes he's got, he's got Grealish, Sterling, Rashford, Sancho, Saka all on the pitch at the same time. I mean, talk about a counter-attacking dream. But obviously <laughs> yeah. it didn't work out. But Italy actually, it's Roberto Mancini who should be going down here because Rashford was playing right yeah, back. You're right. Come on, you have to you have to go after that. And Bernadeschi was the best player on the pitch, I thought. He was only on for whatever it was, 30 minutes. But, you know, he was he was lively. He was easily at least best attacker in the game. He should have just gone over and stood on Rashford. And England, the whole the whole time they play, they're tight. So it's not just Rashford who's out there. But Christ almighty, there has to be something. There has to be something to be going at there. You have to manipulate some sort of position. Because even... Lining him up one on one, you should be able to go past him. He's fast, he's strong, but he can't defend. Obviously, he's centre forward or a winger, but he's going to be falling asleep. You know, there's a ball on over the top of Marcus yeah. Rashford's head in behind. He doesn't know how to defend. Of course, he doesn't. Well, he doesn't know right back should be taking throw-ins. Do you know, like, and, and why would he? <laughs> you know, why, why would he be thinking I'm the one to take this throw-in? It was actually. I think it was John Stones who said to him, no, it's, it's you. you, you're playing there, you have to go and do it. Because Stones went over to do it and then realised, well, what the fuck am I doing? I'm the centre-back. <laughs> I'm the centre-back with Marcus Rashford to me, right? I definitely can't go out of position. <laughs> yeah. I would love, all my respect would be restored in Gareth Southgate if, you know, he was answering some questions of him being too negative, which he does need to answer, like especially considering the squad that they have. Um, if he responded to that by saying, well, you know, we finished the game with Sancho with Greenish, <laughs> we brought Saka on for trip here. I think there's never been more attacking substitutions made in a final like that. We really went for it. <laughs> nah, look, Gar- Gareth Southgate is shit. I mean, he- <laughs> Jose Mourinho would be very proud of this team. And the reason Southgate is getting away with it is because like Jose early on, he has been wildly successful. And the, the only reason the only reason he doesn't get slagged off as much is because he's not as polarizing. He's yeah. not a complete arsehole. Yeah. He's not an egomaniac. If anything, he's a bore. He's, he's not someone who blames everyone else who throws his players under the bus at the first sign of adversity. He does the opposite. He takes a lot of the heat. He absorbs the pressure and the blame. Like he's not He's not the type of fellow that gets into fights. He's the type of player that will just lie on the ground and take a good stamp into the chest. <laughs> Gareth Southgate's a nice lad, and that's the only reason people don't go after it quite as much as they should, because England are an absolutely dreadful team to watch. They're they're so it's like watching Ireland, but it, imagine watching Ireland for the last ten years, but actually having good players. 
that's like, what it's like. It's it's so hard to watch and it's so frustrating because they don't have to do this. Yeah. I genuinely thought of Jose Mourinho today and thought, like, this is his dream team because they're all good players. Like, again, he has seven defensive players in their outfield positions and they're just good, athletic defenders, nowhere to be, playing for big clubs. You know, like, it's it's a perfect setup and they have, no matter who he plays in, whatever three it is, you know, they have enough then going forward to hurt teams, but you just have to look. Like, the Mourinho comparison isn't unfair. Like, you just have to look at the positions that Sterling and Kane were picking up in that first half and second half. Like, Mount, like, was he playing Mount in the wing? Like, what, what a ball job that was. Like, just not not making the call. Like, I, I need to play Mount somewhere. I know it was sort of tucked in as well, but, you know, if you're going to persist with that formation, then surely uh, Saka would be better for it. But it, it was like he it, it was not thinking at all about how to hurt Italy, even though the wingbacks did. But it was always, always firstly thinking, let's just stop them and then see what happens. And that's the thing, but you're you're asking, you're trying to stop a team that you're better than. It's, it's, it's bonkers. It doesn't make any sense. And Italy's centre midfield and centre backs and their goalkeeper are brilliant. They're strong through the middle up to their midfielders. But of those 90,000 piss heads in that stadium, I guarantee you before this tournament started, 85% of them wouldn't have been able to name 80% of the Italian team. And yeah. they wouldn't have known who they were. I absolutely guarantee you that. I know, they, I know some of them play for big clubs. Like, you know, Chiesa plays for Juventus sometimes, but I, I, I bet you most of those people didn't know who he is. Yeah. They definitely didn't know who Spinazzola was. They definitely didn't know who Di Lorenzo was. They might have heard of Insigne because he's been knocking around for 10 years. But, you know, Italy aren't big shakes. They've got a a solid team and a very good midfield. But after that... After that what? They've got nothing else. (laughs) (laughs) All right, coming up. Some awards they handed. The Gary Neville... Harry Maguire is England's most important player. Worst take award. We need some shorter names for these award categories. <laughs> First nomination. Alan Shear quote. I used to walk up and I never took my eyes off the opposite corner. I was going to hit it. Hoping the keeper would think I'm going there. We've all graduated from primary school, Alan Shearer. Remember that with big exaggerated look? You're looking to your left and you're going to go right and you're going to get tricked. Come on, man. Are we absolutely sure that Alan Shear has graduated from primary school? <laughs> His football career did. <laughs> That's fair enough. That's absolutely insane. I can't believe he I can't believe he did that. What's more worrying is the fact that he then said that <laughs> during a broadcast that 20 million people were going to be watching. <laughs> Next nomination. Only have two nominations, and it's of course Gary Neville on the other <laughs> channel, ITV. I'm not even going to mention that he said Gareth Southgate needs a cuddle after the game. <laughs> so read into that what you will. I did suggest my suspicions that I assumed that the two of them were on the blower to each other quite often, given how in sync their thoughts are of each other. 
But uh, now he thinks that he needs a cuddle and he's <laughs> he's looking on longingly from the stands, unable to help his his fallen friend. Anyway, um, what he did say after the game was that England, England got to the final against all odds. Yeah. But, do you want to go through the odds first? <laughs> <laughs> but, well, the pre-tournament favorites they were nine to two ahead of France and five to one. There are the odds. They were the pre-tournament favorites to win, but the qualifier from the group had to be had to come ahead of Croatia, Czech Republic, and Scotland. Didn't need to beat them all. Didn't beat them all. Then they had to beat Germany. Decent result against a poor team, as we lined out or as we mentioned. Beat Ukraine, drew with Denmark, beat them in extra time. That's that's the odds. That they beat to get to the final. Yeah, it's it's absolutely insane. I mean, we covered this at the time. I mean, Gary Neville needs to grow up. England are absolutely brilliant. He needs to stop buying into this. You see, he needs to stop feeding people the lie that England need to dampen their expectations. It yeah. should be an incredible time to be an England fan because England are incredible. They've got so many good players. They've got players all over the pitch that are insane. They were at a tournament where they could change five players during the game. England are the only team in the Euros for whom that was a good thing. Yeah. Because England could bring on, in many cases, better players than the players that were on the pitch. I mean, Saka came on for Trippi. Henderson came on for Rice. Grealish came on. These players are insanely good. And England are the only team that can do that. Nobody else has that. I've mentioned this last week where people were talking about how strong the France squad is. They're bringing on Taram and Taliso. Who gives yeah. a fuck? England improved. England's final 11 on the pitch, if you ignore the Rashford and Sancho subs, was better. England our squad is ridiculous. And it's time for them to just stick out their fucking chest and play like it. I mean, Rice and Phillips aren't as good as some of the centre midfields that are knocking around. But that's... Doesn't they don't have to play both of those two? Exactly, players. just because they're playing that centre midfield pair. There's no way that a midfield with either Rice or Phillips couldn't just have Mount next to them. I mean, yeah. obviously Jordan Henderson would play if he wasn't injured coming into the tournament. But Rice with Mount is an absolutely fine midfield. You don't need to worry about that. That's grand, especially when you're playing three centre halves as well. You can't be playing three centre halves and two defensive midfielders. That's that's insane. The reason I'm so hard on Gary Neville is because I've noticed this pattern with him since he's come back from Valencia. Like Neville's good a lot of the time. Like his analysis sometimes is good when he's when he's not compromised. I feel, and it seems like he will just wave the flag for every manager now since his bad experience of, of management, <laughs> especially the teams that he supports, like United and England. I read a piece that said Gary Neville, this was like uh, before the semi-final, maybe after the semi-final, everything Gary Neville said has turned out to be true. And it was one of those pieces, it was obviously just fishing for a retweet of him. And it was like, you know, Maybe we all should have listened to him. Maybe Gary Neville does know about football. And I was just going through some of the the shit that he said. But like the thing is, Gary Neville backs every single manager. I could write the exact same piece right now and say everything Gary Neville said about Josie Mourinho was bollocks. Because mm-hmm. he just backed him to the hilt. 
that's what he does with managers at the clubs and the teams that he supports. And that's what he's done with Gareth Southgate. Like, we, we said this in the last podcast, Gareth Southgate is obviously not a horrible manager. He hasn't fucked this up. He's gotten him to the... He hasn't fucked it up badly. Say he would have fucked it up a bit tonight. <laughs> but he's gotten to the final of a major tournament, first time in 55 years. So he's done a decent job. But Gareth Southgate does not need to come out and quadruple down on it by saying he is the best possible manager England could have. And, and praise to the rooftops, to the skies, to the heavens, every single decision he makes, as if it's genius, as if... And also get very defensive on behalf of Gareth Southgate as well. Like, all Gary Neville needs to do is look at things a bit more objectively, and he doesn't need to cheerlead. That's why I'm so harsh on him. And that's why like articles like I'm talking about are, are nonsense, because this is just his status quo now. Like, that, that's... That's his disposition to back every manager as far as he can. Yeah, and he, and he says Solskjaer is the right man for Man United, but then he'll also be asked how close are Man United to winning the title, and he'll reply by saying Varane plus Sancho plus Kane equals title. <laughs> yeah. So not very fucking close at all then. <laughs> and if you think United need to spend $300 million on three of the best players in the world, then you must think that Solskjaer shit. <laughs> <laughs> but and this and you said you think that Neville is good on certain things that he's that he's clearly a good analyst. I'm not so sure. I think Neville's whole career is predicated on the fact that whenever he first joined Sky, he was fresh, he was young, he was he was innovative in his new in his use of technology. He had just yeah. retired from the most successful club in the last twenty years, and he was a a captain of that club. He was integral to it. He was a Manchester United boy through and through. He knew Alex Ferguson. Loads of things that would make people interesting. And he was also coming into a studio that Jamie Redknapp was in. You know, and one that, no, one that Andy Gray was leaving and Richard <laughs> Keyes was leaving. <laughs> Jamie Redknapp was coming in a couple of years after that. But like it was, it was a worse studio than what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, and ex- exactly. But of, co- of kind of course, he looked smart and knowledgeable and looked interesting because he was actually talking about football as it was that year. But now he's just gone. Now he's just a, he's a compromised mess, like he said. He can't think straight. He's constantly, which I I assume he hates as well. Whenever other people do this, because he's starting out with the answer and then he's trying to argue to it. Like that's not the purpose of arguing. The purpose yeah. of arguing is to find out what the answer is. And if you're not going to do that, if you're not going to be honest in your inquiry, then don't bother having the inquiry. It's bollocks. It's just a waste of everybody's time. <laughs> I feel like I feel like that's directed at me now because I got it wrong. I thought you said Jamie Carragher and you actually said Jamie Redknapp. <laughs> I know you're being really passive aggressive talking about Gary Neville, but you're actually talking about me. <laughs> well, at least you picked up on that. I'm not sure if Gary Neville would, given his recent track record of picking up on things. But okay, you're right. It's It's needless as well. I mean... England are doing well, but you can be honest about why they're doing well. And you can also be honest about the talent that he has at his disposal. Like those things are, you don't, you can still support England. You can still want England to do well, but you can also want them to do better. Yeah. Do better than dogging out draws against Denmark. That's what Ireland do. Yeah. Like Ireland, Ireland draw five all times in six games. Exactly. Like it's, it, England doing that isn't a good result. It's a shit result. Yeah. If England are at Ireland's level, then fucking hell. 
<laughs> All right. The Joe Mulder's Arse in the Corner, Best Thing I've Ever Seen Award. Referee, Bjorn Crippers. <laughs> this guy was fucking sensational. I would say he is the Stuart Atwell of international football, only on steroids. Just like on steroids, but also not. He's not just consistent. Yeah, he's actually making the right call. He's he seems to be at the heels of every single incident, and he's always just waving it away. I I text somebody very early on, came on a free, and I was like, oh, you know, one of these sort of whinging WhatsApp whinges essentially, where I was like, I would love Hurricane to go to the ground one time and not win a free. And then that happened about six times throughout the course of the game. And this referee, in fairness, in both directions, was just having none of it, getting on with the match, always up to speed. Yeah, fucking legend. And like, I don't want to sound like a an imperial English person, but he's out in the Dutch Eredivisie. This lad's good enough to cut it in the big league in the Premier League. <laughs> <laughs> I think he can come where where people are watching matches, where we really care about it. Yeah, no, he was absolutely brilliant. I mean, he was the perfect referee as well for Harry Kane, for Insignia, for Sterling, for Chiesa, for all these cheating bastards. <laughs> I mean, the number of times you would see him with the utter disdain on his face and just an upturned palm being slowly raised towards the sky. Get up, you plonker. <laughs> and, and you're right, he let the game go hard and fair tackles were being being blown weren't being blown he was he was class he was probably actually the best performer on the pitch i thought he was sensational it was brilliant he wins this award by a landslide the orion nyland worst thing i've ever seen award <laughs> i've got two nominations the first one is the man united supporter with her man united jersey holding it up backwards with the words mrs Grealish printed on it and the number sixty-nine. <laughs> we thought Arsenal fans were bad. Fucking hell, that is just that is desperation stuff. I mean, just just stick another ten million onto the onto the bid. Don't be don't be throwing yourself into the mix. This is this is insane. <laughs> and what I would say to her is get in line. Second nomination, I would say England fans, they're not going to, you call them pissheads, I'm going to call them scumbags, scumbags storming Wembley, and then, not only that, they're breaking into a stadium, they're terrifying people in the biggest, biggest event of the year, you know, we've all been through a pandemic and whatever else, but it's a European Championship, so you have a bit of cop on, breaking into the stadium, you know, that could risk the game going ahead, and then... Not only that, they're standing around the concourse just swinging random punches and kicks at people and, and chanting racist abuse and kicking people on the ground and just being wankers. Like, what? How do you, like, <laughs> I just can't fathom how that, that's how somebody treats a day out of football, especially a day where it's all English fans, essentially. Like you're all there to support the team. You're all there to potentially witness history. You are witnessing history. Enjoy the fucking day. Like, what? How is that enjoyable? Punching somebody in the face who doesn't want to have a fight with you. Like, well done. Like, you look great. Brilliant. Scumbags. Yeah, absolute morons. Just slack jawed droglodytes that can go fuck themselves. 
absolutely disgraceful behavior drinking since 11 o'clock and this is just exactly the type of person who should not be drinking from 11 o'clock yeah they don't know how to have a good time they're so fucking utterly depressed in their own head that as soon as they get drunk all they can think about is slapping somebody get a fucking life get a life you've won this award well done another big achievement tonight questions we can't answer but probably will is that England's best ever chance to win a tournament? Ah, no. England are going to romp into the World Cup as favourites as, as well. They should as well. Um, I would personally... I look, like it, it is hard to have too much of a go at Southgate. I mean, he did get to World Cup semi-final and then he did get to the European Cup final. And <laughs> other than the fact that he plays boring football, it is also, <laughs> I suppose successful football and they have had a lot of things go their way they have had really easy draws in both of those competitions but as the old saying goes he can only beat the teams that are put in front of him I mean our other England teams have had really easy draws but what they haven't had is players of this quality and I so I would be I would be looking at it as a huge missed opportunity I think you're right but the World Cup you get even easier draws in the World Cup because there's a lot more shit teams in there I mean, the World Cup would be improved if there was more European teams in it. That's just the way it is. You've also then just got Brazil and Argentina thrown into the mix. But the cream of the World Cup is always the European teams. And if England can get to the final of the European Championships, they can certainly get to the final of the World Cup, particularly with the players that they have. But can they even beat the teams that are put in front of them? That's the question. They've had seven games in this tournament. Four wins, three draws. If <laughs> we're taking it in ninety minutes, we we went through the semi final before, but you know they beat Sweden, they beat they drew with Colombia, beat them on penalties, lost to Belgium twice, lost to Croatia in this tournament. Beat Croatia, a much worse Croatia in the group stage. Beat Germany, and then again just weren't beating the teams in front of them. And that question comes up again, like you know once they face a team at their level. They generally just back off and <laughs> crumble a lot of the time. They got through the Denmark challenge eventually, and they didn't get through this challenge. Now it's in penalties. In fairness, if they, if they win penalties, then they won the European Championship. So maybe I'm being too harsh. And I actually don't believe this is their best chance of winning the tournament because of what you said. Their squad is one of the best in the world, if not the best, and it's going to keep getting better because of the age profile. But yeah, it's it's hard to look past the draw that they had in the last two tournaments and especially this tournament like their best team their good run their good draw coinciding with everybody else taking a tournament off it seems except Italy but Italy sort of came from nowhere like they weren't even in the last World Cup and you know France falling out Belgium being shit Portugal doing nothing like everybody just falling by the wayside and it's just clearing a path for England and they stumbled into the final over Denmark and lost Italy. Yeah, and look, <clears throat> Italy are a very good team, though. I mean, Italy haven't lost since they didn't qualify for the last World Cup. They're an absolutely <laughs> brilliant team. They don't have any superstars or really, really top-class players other than a couple of midfielders in their centre-halves. But they're still a very good team. So to draw with Italy is a good result. But think about it as well. Whenever England did show a bit of courage, whenever they were enabled, whenever they whenever they weren't stifled by the tactics that they were being asked to deploy, they were 
they were better. They beat Denmark off the fucking pitch. They yeah. hammered them once they just got to grips of it, once they were allowed to attack. And the first 15 minutes today, they were far too good for Italy. There was too much pressure on them. And they didn't even have all their best players on the pitch at that stage. They had a bizarre lineup. But the players are brilliant. Like even their fullbacks and one of their centre halves, they're brilliant attackers as well. And England need to play with this freedom. And then there was 10 minutes of extra time just after Grealish came on as well, where England dominated Italy again. But then they just again receded into their shell. And maybe that is a mentality thing for the players, but it, I don't think it is. It's definitely instructions. It's everybody's working hard and everybody's getting back. And look, again, it nearly worked, but it didn't. And I think there's better ways and easier ways for this squad of players to win. And I think that really is the job of an international manager. It's to get the best of the players that you have, get them, get a system that suits them. And playing like this, playing such stifled, fearful football doesn't suit the talent that England has. And it leads to players not stepping forward in a penalty shootout. <laughs> that's that's harsh. But um, look, great tournament. And we've got to do it all again in just a year and a half time, not even. We'll be back in November 2022. Not the podcast, we'll be back as the season starts, but it's fucking great that there's a World Cup just around the corner now as well. And I'm actually, everybody's complaining about a Christmas World Cup. How great is that going to be? It's going to be so novel. We get to enjoy, get to enjoy football over Christmas and it means the season, the club season is going to be longer. Yeah, it's fucking shit, dude. And it's just interrupting the season. Well, it's it. shit. It's shit that it's in Qatar. It's shit that the temperature is going to be so stifling that the games are not going to be anywhere near what they were like in the Euros here because you can't play at that pace in Qatar. You can't play at that pace in the desert. So I do like the novelty. It is definitely going to be enjoyable, <laughs> but nah. Way to fucking shit on my happy ending of the podcast. <laughs> Any odd bombshells you want to drop on me before I finish up? No, 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 no. it's fine. <laughs> but thanks a million for joining us. Um, we will be back soon. If anything mad happens, like a Super League reincarnation, we'll probably jump on that. Um, keep in touch with us. We're on the Villa Podcast on Twitter, the Villa Podcast Show on Instagram, and you can always get us on email, thevillapodcast at gmail.com. Thanks a million for listening. It's been absolutely great having you along for some Euros fever. It's been a brilliant tournament. England were unlucky not to get there in the end. I think my support through their sweepstick for having them in the sweepstick definitely waned a bit as Jack Grealish's minutes dropped throughout the tournament but um, look we just called it as we saw it and that's exactly what we keep doing when we come back so thanks for joining us and we'll chat to you soon Hi I'm Daniel founder of Pretty Litter Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 